With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Welcome to After 9. I'm your host, Eric Allen. We kind of got a, a little bit of a convoluted start here this morning. Everybody wants to be on time, but not late, but not early. So uh, my panel today is going to be the latest guy today, which is Herb, and then uh, the second latest, which is James, and then the guy on time, which is Peter. You mean second well, second earliest, more like. Uh, okay. <laughs> the guy on time, which was Peter, and then the early guy, which was me. But uh, I need to get here earlier to wake up. So we've got a, got a number of topics we want to cover today, and, and we're going to start off with the... Uh, the topic that they didn't complete on Friday or didn't get to, and that was the CBC uh, little controversy they have there with, of course, the Conservatives at this point in the electioneering of saying get rid of it, uh, under defund it. The famous word of the uh, of the uh, twenty twenty three is defund, and so everybody's using it. I don't know what next year's word will be, but if you got any ideas, write it down. Maybe we'll bring it out, start it early. But uh, anyway, it's defunding CBC, and then they start uh, whining and sniveling about uh, bonuses or something that CBC is getting, but no mention of every corporation in North America and around the world get bonuses every year. Sounds like the CBC is the only one. But I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this. I'm going to let Peter go through and give us an overview of the whole issue, and then we'll talk on it for a while. Okay, Peter? Thanks, Eric. CBC was formed in 1936, and it's the oldest broadcasting network in Canada. And it, and it was formed because of a major concern like about American radio broadcasting expanding into Canada and affecting the sovereignty of the country. So it's uh, from the beginning, it's been a, a sovereignty issue, that there's been a need to have a national public broadcaster. CBC is a crown corporation, and it's supposed to act as our, at arm's length from government and uh, autonomous. However, that claim is disputed by various interests, of course. It has an appointed board of directors. The president is, uh, of the CBC is appointed by the Governor General of Canada on the advice of the Prime Minister. So under the 1991 Broadcasting Act, CBC programming should be predominantly and distinctively Canadian, reflect Canada and its regions to national and regional audiences, be in English and French, contribute to the shared national consciousness and identity, and reflect the multicultural and multiracial nature of the, of the country. So over the decades, it, it's expanded to include a national web of many different programs, networks, and services. It's got about 7,500 employees. It's got four main radio networks, English and French, as well as uh, six separate services, two television networks, websites and podcasts, dozens of radio and TV outlets and affiliates across the country, does all kinds of programming, TV series, dramas, variety shows, children's programs, documentaries, etc. It has its programming in the north. There's eight indigenous languages, including in Noctetak, Cree, etc., and it also has international uh, feeds and broadcasting in the U.S. and, and Caribbean. 
and a, and a host of other services besides all the pr- its property and buildings across the country. The funding of the CBC comes through parliamentary appropriation. It's voted on by all the parties in Parliament, and uh, it's uh, currently it's about 1.3 billion dollars uh, that it. Um, Get support from. It also has ad revenues uh, for for TV, uh, selling sells programs, subscriptions, etc. And, and that amounts to about six hundred and fifty million. So while it's built up an extensive national web of programs and services over the over the decades since nineteen thirty six, in the last fifteen years or so, successive governments have inflicted death by a thousand cuts on the CB's progr- CBC's programs and services. You know, layoffs, funding cuts, selling off of assets and affiliates, etc. In addition, there's been an erosion of the hands-off principle of government regarding the day-to-day operations of the CBC. For example, the Harper Conservative government brought in Bill C-60, which allows the Prime Minister's Cabinet to approve salaries, working conditions, and collective bargaining positions for the CBC. Although some claim that CBC tends to favor or have bias towards the Liberals, the Liberals have also participated in this death by a thousand cuts. You know, the most uh, you know recent example of what's happening is the CBC is cutting 600 jobs uh, across the country, and this is in response to budget shortfall of 125 million. So, as some people say, you know, the CBC, there's, you know, towards the CBC, there's ambivalence by the Liberals and antipathy by the Conservatives. You know, there's a lot of issues uh, which we can probably get into in, uh, after I finish speaking here in terms of uh, issues uh, regarding the, the, the CBC. One of the, you know, the, the issues that, uh, you know, came up is the, the whole issue of the politically appointed leadership. You know, like, uh, some, some people feel that uh, in the past, what's happened is people have been appointed to the leadership that uh, have not had the best interests of the uh, institution in, in in mind. Most recently, the controversy that uh, Eric alluded to there was uh, that you had the CBC announcing that there was going to be 600 uh, layoffs. Uh, at the same time, the uh, head of the CBC, uh, when interviewed by a CBC reporter, uh, said that uh, despite that, the uh, executives, the top executives, were going to get uh, annual bonuses of amounting to millions of dollars. In any case, the, Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives, they're, they're talking about defunding the CBC. And if you're talking about defunding the CBC, it would mean the end of CBC as we know it. You know, in my opinion, the the whole you know defunding idea is a bad idea, and is another neoliberal privatization scheme. Uh, you know, like as happened with uh, the CNR, which was a publicly owned uh, uh, rail railway, the Atomic Energy Commission, BC Rail, and so on. And what would happen if it got defunded is that you're going to have billionaire private interests gobbling up the most profitable parts. Then the other parts would die on the vine, you know, which is important, like because CBC goes to areas there which are not so-called profitable, you know, like in the north and rural areas and and so on. So it's quite essential that way. As the second largest country by territory in the world, it makes sense for Canada to have a publicly funded broadcast network. 
part of the glue that holds the country together. And it can service the isolated northern and rural sections of the party and, and, and so on. In an era of neoliberal globalization that is undermining national and cultural sovereignty, it's important to strengthen national public institutions. Indeed, rather than being dismantled or cut, they should be built upon. You know, why do we have a foreign-based Facebook social media? You know, why shouldn't Canada have its own public social media service? And there's other examples as well where CBC could expand and, and develop and build in this uh, digital era. The question is not whether we like or dislike this or that part of the CBC or its news coverage or programming. Indeed, there's a lot that no doubt could be improved. I, you know, I often disagree with the news coverage especially, but that is not the question here. The question is that as a country in today's globalized world, do we need a publicly owned national broadcaster? In my opinion, we do. Well, <clears throat> that was quite a, quite a lot of information there, but your last line, uh, I agree with. Yes, we do need it. The rest of it is, what's the word I'm searching for? Hyper, hyperbole? In other words, BS. They just yappity, yappity, yappity. You got the, the guy in the uh, opposition yapping away trying to get elected. The guy in the government trying to defend his position. They're having their two little battles going there. And they're not talking about real stuff like, you know, uh, how come we don't have any jobs in this country? How come we're bringing in 500,000 additional immigrants into this country? And Which is fine. I don't have a problem with that if we got jobs for it. But we don't have jobs. You know, that's a serious situation. So why don't we talk about defunding the CBC? And then we don't have to deal with those issues. That's what I think it is. It's always a cover for getting to the real issues in the country. And so they come up with these, like I just... CBC's been around forever, and if I have anything to do with it, it'll be around forever. And the cost of it is zip compared to the bonuses and, and what our members of parliament and pensions and everything else, what they get. Maybe we'll talk about that for a while. What do you think, James? Yeah, I, th I think, uh, you know, the CBC, I, I want to see it stick around. I, I don't want to see the funding, uh, you know, it get defunded. I, I, I feel, you know, and I've been a critic of the C, the CBC, its news coverage before. I, I feel like it focuses too much on, on trying to be like what Peter called the glue that holds the country together, uh, to the point where it's not raising, uh, criticisms of institutions, Canadian institutions, you know, that, that needs to happen. So for instance, you don't hear a lot of criticism of the lack of competition in our economy, you know, how we've got these, these huge corporations have kind of dominated key sectors of our economy, how the Competition Bureau is ineffective in dealing with that. Uh, you know, the, these are issues that CBC doesn't really want to touch. It's like we've invested in, in really good investigative journalism at the National. Uh, there's a few good investigative journalists at CBC, BC. But, you know, when you get down into the regional uh, departments, you don't really see that kind of, those kind of investigations happening. And I feel that needs to happen because we don't have journalism in this country like we used to. We don't have accountability happening like it used to. And so the, the last great hope for journalism and, and, and uncovering scandals and whatnot is from our public broadcaster. And they'd prefer to basically broadcast fluff to, like, feel good fluff to make us feel good about our country and our society and our culture. So they're, they're trying to focus too much on, on, you know, bringing Canadians together with, under, under this kind of rubric of, of some kind of Canadian identity, uh, without asking the tough questions. I mean, tree planting's another, uh, great example here in this, in this town, which, which relates to us and how, 
you know, tree planting is a great example of, of this Canadian ide- identity, uh, cornerstone, you know, and they, they, they run these constant, uh, stories about how awesome it is and, you know, how like these positive things about how we're, we're fixing up all these clear cuts with all these young idealistic tree planters going out, like, but they're carpeting the landscape and pine trees, you guys, and then they're spraying everything. Another thing the CBC doesn't really want to talk about, you know, because that would discredit kind of this, this core identity of, of Canada, which is this, this, uh, you know, well, tree planting and forests and forestry is part of our identity. You know what? They don't want to touch that. So those are my criticisms. I, I want to see more tough questions being asked by the journalism, less, less kind of fluffy, uh, irrelevant kind of feel good coverage, which is basically all you hear. And, uh, then I think that the CBC, that the billions of dollars we give to the CBC would be more justified. Good points there, James. Uh, Herb, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I think uh, to address uh, James's point, um, there's not a lot of hard uh, investigative reporting going on because the CBC actually doesn't get very much money. The uh, the average uh, per capita cost uh, to Canadians of the CBC is 33 bucks. So each of us pays about two packs of smokes a year for the privilege of having the CBC. That's... Um, that's really low. That's uh, 17th out of, the, out of 20 uh, Western countries. So Switzerland spends six times more than that. Uh, Norway and Germany, about four. Uh, we're looking at um, even the UK uh, paying, um, what, more than three times that per capita. Uh, the only countries that pay less is Portugal, New Zealand, and the U.S., and for for a country that uh, is the second largest in the world, has a huge, uh, diverse, uh, multicultural community, uh, we need we need to spend more money on the CBC, not less. We, um, I mean, it's it's really kind of disgraceful how we've we've basically chopped it into pieces, and um, and then we criticize it. Well, hopefully, we won't get into paying for stuff because of of the size of the country because. It's a population. We don't have the population in some of these countries. That no, but that's, that's per capita funding. Yeah, right? I know. Well, we only got 38 million. How many's Britain got? Yeah, but they, but per capita, for each Britain, they, yeah. they pay over a hundred bucks for their public broadcast. Yeah, no, I'm not arguing about that part, but I'm just talking about the, about the size of the country. That's one of the reasons why we need the CBC is because, and these guys touched on it, yeah. because of the size in the rural areas. That's it. And it kept us going, you know, and, and during the Second World War and all the way through, you know, we wouldn't even had TV or nothing here for 10 years after everybody else. If it wasn't for the CBC, what private company is going to go to, say, Fort St. John or Terrace or someplace and set up a TV station? Ain't going to happen because there's no money there. Yeah. So we need this. And aside from that, the first thing we would do if we had to go to war or something is we would take it over. The government would take it over because you're not going to have a private company uh, putting out your propaganda during the war. We got to take a break here. <laughs> Thousands of years ago, a story began. I am. I am. A story that will never end because this is the story of God's love for us. He has risen. He is alive. Welcome to the Lamplighter Classic Audio Series. You are there. Now, you can enjoy this Lamplighter classic, You Are There, together as a family. Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7.30 p.m. here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It seems like just yesterday... 
You bought your forever home. You raised your family. You created memories. Time passes swiftly. The stairs now very much a burden. The experts at MediChair North BC are here to help you live life without limits. Talk to us today about modification options to stay in your forever home. MediChair North BC, your neighbors in care. Visit us today in Prince George or Cornell or online at mednorthbc.com. It's not too late to get your vehicle winterized. To get it done right, visit AutoMagic on 15th. Tires, coolant, general service, brakes, imported or domestic parts, wheels, shocks, and so much more, AutoMagic is the place to go to keep your vehicle in tip-top shape for the long winter months. Book your appointment with AutoMagic today and get the job done right. Call 250-564-3224. Open Monday through Saturday from 8 to 5, AutoMagic on 15th. Your vehicle will thank you. Forecast from Environment Canada. Morning fog patches with a 30% chance of flurries, then cloudy. Wind at the 15K. A high of minus 3 with a wind chill to minus 12. Tonight, mainly cloudy. Fog patches developing this evening. Wind becoming south 20 overnight, a low of minus 6. For Tuesday, mainly cloudy. Wind from the south at 30, a high of 0 with a morning wind chill to minus 13. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. We're going to finish off this uh, CBC situation. We'll probably get into it as time goes on. But uh, you notice when they're talking about uh, bonuses, talking about millions of dollars in bonuses, they like to use the big numbers. But in actual fact, it's about $14,000 a year per person that gets the the, uh, bonus, which breaks down to about $1,000 a month or something. So, you know, but it sounds so much better if you get hundreds of millions of dollars in bonuses. So, you know, catastrophic things happening here. So, simple question, leave the CBC alone and get to work. Uh, so we're going to go now to uh, Canada's surging cost of living fuels reverse immigration. I'm going to start that off with Herb, and believe it or not, people are actually leaving Canada to go somewhere else. Amazing, I can't believe it. Go ahead, Herb. Well, I mean, it's not actually news. I mean, you know, uh, we've always we've grown up with uh, so-called snowbirds who basically leave Canada every winter to head down uh, to the U.S. for warmer weather and cheaper prices. And uh, now it turns out some immigrants uh, also are finding that uh, uh, the economy and the, the climate is uh, uh, not as amenable as they might have uh, thought at the, at the beginning. So... I think you have to look at the overall trend. I mean, there's there's always going to be people that, you know, don't like winter and um, uh, think they can find a better deal somewhere else. So uh, the overall numbers, though, uh, you know, there's 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 no escaping it. There's we've got lots and lots of people coming in, into into Canada looking for a better life, and uh, and it's predominant. So that's that's the one reason we have a problem with high housing prices. Uh, that's why we still have a, a pretty robust uh, construction industry. Uh, uh, but, you know, there's problems with immigration as well. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, we, I don't think anyone's ever kidded themselves that Canada's an easy place to live. So, Well, no, it isn't. And there's lots of uh, different things we can get into. But, you know, I'm going to start a cartoon thing someday, and it's going to be called, the, guy in the, the head guy in the cartoon is going to be called Willie Whitewash. He's going to have a can of paint and a brush, and he's going to go around and 
whitewash everything. Are you interested in the job? Because you just whitewashed this one. You took a, a story that I'm seeing from a negative point of view, and you made it sound like a good news story. Well, it actually is kind of a good news story. We don't have enough places for all these people to live, so I know. But uh, what I wanted to get to, you got to you got to weed out the ones the culls, right? Like you. But you didn't pay any attention to the woman that they interviewed or the student who can't afford to live in this country and is basically leaving because it's just not a good place to be if you're a student and if you had to please. Do you want to talk on that, Peter? Yeah, well, no, I think it's a reflection of, you know, what everyone is feeling at this time here, you know, in terms of <clears throat> inflation, income, housing prices. You know, the things are going through the roof and everyone, you know, what's happening is we're, we're being gouged in so many different ways. So it's not surprising that there's going to be some people who have immigrated here who are, want to look for a better, better places to go. So I, I think for me, the main comment here is, uh, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of weather, if people get, have a, have a, have a nice house or nice living quarters and a, and a good salary, uh, the weather doesn't really matter that much, right? It's a crucial thing, uh, in terms of, uh, what your livelihood is and what your income is and, and we're in a situation now where that that's under severe stress, you know, in terms of uh, in some some parts of the the country worse than others. It's in different ways, right? You know, like you'll find the big centers like Vancouver and Toronto. You know, the housing prices are going through the roof. But then in the rural areas, you find that the you know, like you look at the north right now, like. Uh, I was watching a TV program there, and there was—I think it was a eleven dollars or twelve dollars for a can of soup. You know that they were paying in the high north, right? You know, so uh, yeah, there's there's some real serious uh, economic stuff going on here. Yeah, I certainly agree with that, James. You got something to say on that? Yeah, I think uh, I think you know a lot of a lot of choices are pretty limited when you when you come into Canada. You've got uh, basically you're kind of restricting restricted to the big cities. That's that's sort of where the support. Uh, exists for for newcomers to this country we don't have a lot of uh a small towns you know, i think back 150 years ago when you know when you came to canada you had all these little towns across uh, the prairies where you could move to you could uh had except you know land prices were more accessible uh you could uh, you know work off the land a lot easier now that's uh, pretty much all but impossible you're you're constrained to these metropolitan regions your housing prices are through the roof uh, yeah, I think, you know, I take a pretty cynical view of how, uh, our, of our immigration policy the last, uh, 10 years. I think it's, it's, it hasn't been for the benefit of immigrants. It hasn't been for the benefit, uh, of the country. It's been for the benefit of, uh, the real estate industry, uh, university, uh, administrations. And, uh, you know, just basically it's a, it's a tactic to prop up uh, Canada's economy because in reality we don't really have anything. Our economy isn't really based on anything other than some, uh, raw resource extraction. We don't manufacture anything, uh, you know, less and less all the time. Uh, it's a pretty hopeless situation. Uh, I think a lot of people come here, they, they see that. Uh, I mean, food prices are, are another huge one. Like it's just unbelievable how much money we're spending on food now. You know, like a jar of pasta sauce is like nine bucks now at the at the grocery store. You spend fifty bucks for food for like a day and a half. It's uh, it's pretty un unrealistic uh, prospects, I think, for a lot of people. And then what 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 are we doing for work? Where are the big jobs? You know, uh, a lot of the a lot of the computer jobs are being outsourced. You know, a lot of the checkout jobs are being automated. It's it's just um, 
Yeah, I think uh, I think we've got a lot of work to do in this country before we, uh, you know, pretend that we can support a million more people every year. Okay, it's uh, one word that popped out, and I think uh, uh, Peter mentioned it, and it's a word that we don't use very much in Canada, and certainly not in British Columbia, and certainly not in Prince George, and certainly not in the retail or <clears throat> wholesale industry or whatever. Now, word is gouging. If you want to solve the infl- inflation in in Canada and in BC, and that's stop the gouging. Now, if you take any one of your elected officials and they say, "Oh, well, you know, inflation's caused by uh, the supply chain and it's fuel surcharge and all that," so you ask them, "So, I'll give you an example," and that's the end of the conversation because they don't have an example. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know how they arrive at these costs. They never talk to anybody responsible for the cost. They can tell you the difference between a can of milk on Monday if they happen to go in the store and they went in on Wednesday and it went up 20 cents. Oh, milk went up 20 cents. But all the milk in Canada comes from the same place. So why is such a disparity? Pretty well all of it, you know, which is Ontario. So why the big disparity in prices between, say, uh, one store and another store? Because of the markup. They mark it up to what they can get away with and how much profit they can make. <clears throat> We don't have any jobs in this country because we don't create any jobs. Eighty percent of what's produced in this country is produced by American companies who establish themselves here and they'll say uh, uh, Exxon Canada Limited or something, or Imperial Oil Canada Limited. American company. Husky, which was sold to Imperial, I think, but when it was Husky, was owned by a, a company in Hong Kong. We used to have Dawn Petroleum, and they turned around and sold it back to the private industry. It used to be owned by the government. And the liberals and the conservatives at different times finished it off. You know, we had, I always talked to Herb about this, we used to have 20 refineries in Canada. Today we're lucky if we got three. Because the Americans like to do the refineries and that's where they are. We're trying to take a break now and we'll come back with something more exciting and maybe something we could chuckle at. Connect with services such as WorkBC, ServiceBC, and the Ministry of Social Development and Poverty Reduction at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. It's a convenient way for you to find out about these community services at a spacious central location. Sessions are held every second Tuesday, and you don't need to make an appointment. Just drop in and chat with the service providers you need. The next community services drop-in is December 19th from 1 to 3 at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Need vehicle repairs? See Big O Tires. Famous for tires, Big O is also a full-service automotive center customers trust for expert service and repair. From brakes to tire changeovers to steering, suspension, and more, Big O Tire treats every vehicle like it's their own. Proudly locally owned and operated for 24 years, Gary and the team of the Big O Tires thanks you for your tremendous support and wishes you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Big O Tires, 2000 Victoria Street, Prince George. 
Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available in most items, including pierogies and sausages, and there are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back, and uh, we're going to switch to another topic. Now, this one is it's, uh, nothing to laugh about, actually. Sorry about that, but it's... it's how bad, something positive here. <laughs> how bad things could be. And some oh. people are predicting in the housing market it could be as bad as it was back in the 1980s. Now, if that's true, that's, that's pretty scary. And people should, you know, be thinking about that because, uh, well, Peter, I'm going to start off with Peter, but we were here in the 1980s when uh, interest rates were at 17, 18, 19 percent. If you think 8 percent is going to shake you up, try that for a while. And uh, go ahead, Peter. Uh, Yeah, no, it's a serious situation for a lot of people right now, like people who are, in terms of the the overall housing you know, the uh, sector is in crisis on a whole number of fronts. You know, uh, whether it's on the on the homeless front, whether it's on the rental front, whether it's on the people having to buy or trying to buy uh, houses uh, with very high interest rates. So we have a, a, a situation where there's a there's an overall crisis in the in the housing market. Uh, where's it going to go? Uh, that's a, a real problem, you know, for people to fi- f- try to figure out, you know, what's the best thing to do in terms of uh, if they're trying to buy a house, uh, you know, because uh, what, what, what will be the interest rate down the road? Uh, you know, you're going to have a situation where uh, a lot of people could go bankrupt, especially if this uh, continues on. And overall, like, you know, what's happening is that there's a kind of a, uh, we have inflation, but we also have a, a deflationary situation going on too, you know, where people are just basically saying, well, why should I buy a house now? I should wait, right? And wait for the interest rates to go down, right? And, uh, that, that's a variant on the deflationary sort of, uh, uh, situation. So, you know, in terms of, um, what, uh, governments are doing, you know, by uh, most of the predictions that I see in all this is that uh, in terms of uh, what the government is doing at both the federal and provincial level is, is that they're not solving this problem and they're not going to solve the problem the way things are, at least uh, as presently uh, planned for or constituted in terms of policy. You know, so, yeah, this is an issue for uh, for the country. Are we going to comment on that? Well, yeah, just going back and looking at some of the um, historical uh, interest rates, uh, CIBC has a list out. And what they charged uh, for their prime rate back in uh, 1981, and um, what was it, uh, uh, July 31st, 1981, 21.75% prime rate. So, you know, it's, it's, we, people have gotten used to really low rates. And, uh, you know, 7% is tough, but it's nowhere near 21%. And the good news is it looks like uh, inflation is coming down. Interest rates are going to come down. And I think that's going to probably save a lot of people's bacon at this point because, yeah, there's there's potential for a lot of people to lose their houses. 
at the moment. But back in the in the eighties, when it, when it went up to twenty one percent, those people that had just gone into a mortgage and or took out a long term twenty five year mortgage were at five percent. So it started out at five and it ended up at seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. And that's that's where you got to sort of think: How did that happen? How did we get five from five percent? Now we're at eight and got up to 19 or something. It happened. We watched it happen, and nobody seemed to be able to stop it. And, I, you know, there was one person I knew that was selling repossessed houses for a bank, and he, just from that one bank, he had 800 houses to sell in this town. And that was just a small part of what happened. We had whole neighborhoods that sat empty for one or two years. It's a serious situation, and it's kind of a consequence of a running away um, inflationary sort of economy. So here's here's the deal. In those days, you could buy a house for $45,000 or something, and uh, if you're two of you are working, no problem, you know. Down payment, 10, 15,000 bucks. These are all actually unbelievable numbers now. And now here we are in the middle of one of the biggest forested industries in the company. We're making all kinds of lumber for what? For building houses. We've got jobs and everything, and we've got thousands and thousands of people that have low-paying jobs and can't afford to buy a house in Canada in the middle of the forest industry where everything should be the cheapest, and we can't do that. We just can't do it. $800,000 for a house in Prince George? I mean, I don't know. James? Yeah, would would uh, what happened in the early 1980s happen again? I think the I think one of the thing the one of the things that might be different is is back then we may have had a more independent uh, Bank of Canada. You know, those kind of a little bit more independent of political interference. They kind of made rates uh, based on uh, you know uh, what they thought was best for uh, monetary policy. Whereas now, I think uh, the Bank of Canada is maybe a little bit more afraid of uh, government and then you know politicians like Pierre talking about you know um, if I well, I don't know what did he what did he say he, he talked about influencing the bank the rate anyway but uh, well, he wanted, I think, yeah he wanted to actually uh, uh, fire the the uh, uh, Bank of Canada head right that was that was yeah. one of his uh, yeah so ideas. so you've, you've got a Bank of Canada that, that's uh, or politicians that are basically threatening the Bank of Canada with repercussions for doing things like raising interest rates so I don't know if we'd see 20% I mean if we did it would, it would be a catastrophe you compare what mortgages are now to what our average annual income is I mean it's nowhere near what it was uh in 1982 you know so when you when you went to uh uh, 20% interest rate back then, it was chaos. Just imagine what it would be now with, uh, with, with how far underwater, uh, the average, uh, new, newish homeowner is. I've got a, a comparison. Finally, I found something that compares, or at least shows the actual cost that goes into a house and then all the additional costs that go in, like recovery cost charges, real estate, uh, uh, commissions and, and it lists it all. And it's about 50-50, 50% of your house's actual construction costs, yada, yada, yada. And the rest of it is all what we used to call ancillary costs. You know, whether it's uh, the engineer, or whether it's the guy that designed the house, or whether it's, you know, it just goes on and on and on. So if you've got a $500,000 house, 250000 it's just fluff, just stuff that's all been passed on to you because other people, that's how they make their living. Just charging the construction guy, and then he turns around and 
and charges it to you. So uh, I have in the back of my mind when Lumber was selling at $15,000 or $1,500 a thousand board feet, a lot of people were buying lumber and building houses. That's pretty some high price lumber. That's the highest price lumber has ever been in the history of British Columbia. And you would think at that point they wouldn't buy it. They'd wait. And uh, now it's back down to 450 or $500 a thousand. Some people have some very expensive two-by-fours in their houses. And if they try to hold out and reclaim that when they're selling their house, who knows what might happen? Peter? Uh, well, yeah, just looking at the overall, you know, like what's happening, you know, like uh, we have a situation where, you know, where, where we have globalized neoliberalism, globalized monopoly capitalism that is uh, dominating the world, right? You know, like when you look at the governments of uh, Canada, U.S. and elsewhere, uh, that's who's calling the shots are these uh, globalized billionaires. And uh, as a result, we're having a situation where by uh, by all accounts, the rich are getting richer and everyone else is getting poorer, you know, so we have this situation and it calls into question, you know, we have to start thinking about uh, uh, ourselves as a, as a country in terms of nation building within this context. Uh, are we just going to be it's sort of like this part of a globalized casino? You know, where, uh, you know, Canada, you know, is put up as one of the chips of, uh, you know, on this globalized casino. Or do we d develop a, a, a national nation building program, you know, that uh, looks at developing manufacturing, looks at developing the country as a whole, rather than th this situation whereby uh, this global casino where uh, we lose, right, because we're a smaller power and uh, the, the way things are going with the billionaires in charge, uh, they sell out the country at a moment's notice. Okay, we're going to take a break now, and then we'll be back and finish this one off. It's a stuffy sleepover story time on December 20th at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. Children up to age 5 can bring their favorite stuffy to story time from 6 to 6.30, then leave them overnight for a sleepover. The library's secret photographers will catch the stuffies in action after everyone else goes home. Register for free at 250-563-9251. The stuffy sleepover story time for children up to 5 years old, December 20th from 6 to 6.30 at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. If you love pop music, Pop Talks is a series for you. Music historian Paul Harris is presenting a series of three talks at the public libraries on various aspects of pop music from the 1960s to today. Presented in partnership with the Prince George Conservatory of Music, Pop Talks is a free drop-in event. The next Pop Talk is Thursday evening from 6.30 to 7.30 at the downtown branch and will focus on the tragedy of superstardom. Pop Talks at the Prince George Public Library. In the wake of an ongoing investigation, Prince George RCMP is asking parents and caregivers to have open and honest conversations with their children about the dangers of sextortion, the practice of extorting money or sexual favors from someone by threatening to reveal evidence of their online sexual activity is on the rise in Prince George. If someone you know is the victim of sextortion, have them stop all communication with that person, deactivate their accounts, and report it to the Prince George RCMP at 250 Five six one thirty three hundred. Forecast from Environment Canada. Morning fog patches with a 30% chance of flurries, then cloudy. Wind at the 15K. A high of minus 3 with a wind chill to minus 12. Tonight mainly cloudy. Fog patches developing this evening. Wind becoming south 20 overnight, a low of minus 6. For Tuesday mainly cloudy. Wind from the south at 30. A high of 0 with a morning wind chill to minus 13. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
Okay, but we're back and we're talking about the high cost of housing now. This is kind of a a serious subject for me because I have this sense that everybody in Canada should be able to get a half-decent job, earn a living wage, and buy a house. And I'm not particularly impressed with people who want to buy it cheap. And, uh, you know, like I, I have a, a niece a while back, and her husband went and checked out buying a, a lot and building a house in a certain area of the city. And they were just shopping around, and they said to the guy, well, we'll come back in a couple of weeks. And we we're just looking around. They came back in two weeks. The price of the lot went up by $50,000, but nothing else went up. You know, I mean, and he said, you'd be lucky if you, and we asked him why it went up, and he said, well, because we're busy, and if you want it, it's going to cost you another 50000 I remember some other places in town where the lots were selling 15 years ago at $87,000 a lot, and they're now selling for $250,000 a lot. Same lot. Same, probably, roughly the same cost to develop them. And this goes on all over town. And, uh, you know, there's things going on here that we don't know about. And we will never, these people, younger people, will never be able to buy a house unless people quit gouging us. Now, you can build, you know, down in the States or something, that when they're building, they might have 10 or 15 different contractors. They're all competing with each other, and they're building houses like crazy. And they can build them a hell of a lot cheaper than we do here. And most stuff in the United States is cheaper than what it is here. And we know here, if we go downtown to buy gas, we can go to every gas station in town, and they're all selling gas for about the same price. Just a, a coincidence, you know, just so sort of happens that way. Go shopping for lots. You'll find out lots of selling for about the same price all over town, too. But that's another coincidence. just happens that way. No, I don't think so. You know, we got signs up here that say, uh, trucks are cheaper in Cornell. Well, the trucks got to come through to Cornell to get here. So how do they get cheaper when they got here? You know, how, how do they get cheaper in Cornell? Because it raised the price up here. So, you know, I'm kind of making some nasty Norman statements today. But the thing is... If they don't want to change the name of the city to what it is, which is Gouger City, <laughs> then they should change it to Siren City because we got sirens going every night, keeping us awake, people running back and forth. Let's move one of these fire halls downtown so we don't have to burn up the gas all night running back and forth, and maybe get a, 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 a you know part of a medical center down here to look after people instead of driving back and forth all night. So anyway. Who wants to talk on this? What's your What's the question there, Peter? Or Erica? You know, I don't know if I could follow a rant like that one. <laughs> the question is, what are we going to do about getting things back to a, a, a level that people who are leaving school and graduating don't have to live in a one-room apartment paying eleven or $1,200 a month because there's nothing else in this country that they could buy because everybody else is taking a bite out of it before it gets onto the market. These houses in this town, I mean, I don't care if we got to pay out the people that paid the high price or whatever, but we have to stop driving the price up so nobody can buy. And old Ford said that years ago when he started up his um, um, Model T Ford manufacturing plant and he gave everybody that's working there a big raise. And the industry went nuts, you know, and all industry don't. You give those guys a raise. They didn't even ask for it. You gave them a raise. Why did you do that? And he said, if I didn't pay him more money, he says, who's going to buy my cars? And I'm telling you right now, if we don't find a situation where people can afford to buy a home, 
we're going to be out of the construction business and building homes because it's not going to happen anymore. And that's our divine heritage. And money lenders or gougers or whatever don't have the right to take that away from us. So if they won't voluntarily start to back off, then we're going to have to do something to back them off. Oh, there's there's one one thing in Prince George, yeah. I mean, two hundred fifty thousand dollars for building lot <clears throat> is ridiculous. You know, we've the taxpayers already spent uh, uh, over thirty million dollars uh, developing uh, Boundary Road, and there's thousands and thousands of acres there that are undeveloped. And <clears throat> that, that was crown land we sold to a developer too, isn't it? Well, yeah, it was actually. But uh, so you know, the, the taxpayer put in the road, they put in the uh, uh, the electric um, uh, power they put in the, the drains, the, the sewer, the sewers, and yet it's still undeveloped. And the developer is paying uh, agricultural tax on it because he's actually growing hay. So does that make any sense? No. And uh, you know this, that's where the city is just protecting developers, really. And you've got a lot of people, uh, you know, people who made a lot of money in Prince George, have put it into land, and, it's, and they're just sitting on it. So yeah. that's, you know, at some point, someone's got to you know, break open the floodgates uh, because, yeah, $250,000 uh, postage stamp lot is ridiculous uh, when we have land all around us. And, in fact, uh, some of the areas that we're developing are much farther from downtown than Boundary Road. So, you know, this is something that we could easily do, and that would dramatically decrease the cost, cost of, uh, of houses. And the other thing to look at is, uh, you know, we, we got uh, lumber going for over 740 bucks this morning on the on the Chicago market. That's double the uh, 30-year price average. And uh, and why is that? You know, we've got um, uh, uh, a mill in Bear Lake that's been shut down because of low prices, supposedly. Okay, we're going to go for a breakdown, and we'll come back with uh, whatever is left of, left of the program. The local organizing committee for the 2024 Parabiathlon World Championships and Paranordic World Cup Finals have launched their new event website. As excitement builds for the two consecutive events being held March 5th to 17th at the Otway Ski Trails, the new site is the main portal for all information on athletes, teams, volunteers, fans, and community members. Check out the website today at caledoniancompetitions.com so you're prepared as the world comes to Prince George in March. Northern Health is taking actions to continue protecting people, communities, and the health care system this respiratory season by encouraging people in the North, aged six months and older, to get their COVID-19 and influenza vaccines. Visit getvaccinated.gov.bc.ca to get registered. Invitations will then be sent by email and text message with an invitation link to book your vaccine appointment. If you need help scheduling your vaccines, call 1-833-838-2323. Visit northernhealth.ca for clinic information in your community. Santa loves Coop's Bike Shop. He usually asks their elves for help with gift ideas. Coop's has brand name snowshoes, skates, and skating apparel, and of course, bikes and bike accessories. That's right, Coop's Bike Shop is your year-round sporting goods store. Locally owned and operated for 50 years, get great deals on snowshoes, skates, skating apparel, bikes, and bike accessories at Coop's Bike Shop. 
gift ideas for everyone on your Santa list. Coop's Bike Shop, open Tuesday through Saturday in the Nicholson Center. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. Uh, we're not going to stick on this housing deal anymore, but but I would just say that we have City Hall, Mayor, 8th Councilors, and a humongous administration, and hopefully somebody down there is working on checking in and seeing why we're paying so much for land and so much for houses in this town and start doing something about it because, you know, at the end of the day, if we're going to pay that much up here, we may as well be in Armstrong or Penticton or down on the island. Why stay up here in the ice and snow if uh, it's going to cost us the same as a house in Victoria? So, and, and of course, the uh, contractors and that, if they want to stay in business here, it's about time they gave us a break. We've been making them rich for, I don't know, 75 years now. So it's time to give some back. So we're going to go to the uh, sugar war that gets stickier down in Vancouver and Rogers Sugar strike's been on for six weeks now and uh, doesn't seem to be anything happening but James is going to kind of bring us up to speed on that. Well I don't know about that Eric uh, but I did uh, you know I did read all the articles I'm trying to write a column on this there yesterday and spent quite a bit of time I don't know if I you know anything's clearer to me now than it was before uh, you know we in the last uh, segment there we talked about what, what can we do about uh, the problems facing Canada and, and one of the things is more local manufacturing I guess we can consider ourselves lucky that we actually have sugar plants in Canada that produce sugar uh, you know and uh, this is it's a pretty uh, a long complicated history actually between Canada and sugar you know the Scotiabank I caught its beginnings um, basically running sugarcane plantations down in the Caribbean uh, Rogers Sugar here in, in on the West Coast was established by an, an American guy. Uh, a lot of what uh, happens in the Canadian sugar politics is determined kind of by what uh, the American policy is. I, I understand the Americans have a really convoluted uh, history with sugar, with uh, tariffs and protectionism and subsidies, uh, some of which has to do with uh, alternative forms of um, sugar production using uh, beetroots. Actually, we do that in Canada as well. In Tabor, Alberta, there's uh, there's a plant there that makes uh, sugar out of beetroots. A lot of sugar nowadays is being produced by cow corn or field corn, which is the corn you can't eat. Uh, that's a lot of that GMO uh, Roundup-ready corn uh, grown across the Midwest and then to some extent in Canada. And they make uh, that's where you get your high fructose uh, sugar out of that. So anyway, there's there's a lot a uh, lot going on with with sugar. Uh, What's happened there at Rogers is Rogers used to be an independent company. It was, uh, I think, in 2008. Uh, uh, prior to 2008, it was owned by a really uh, big hedge fund here, one of Canada's richest guys. I think a guy called Jerry Schwartz owned it. And 2008, it got, I believe, it got merged with uh, Atlantic. So now Atlantic owns Rogers Sugar Refinery. I did look at the annual report there. The most recent one, they earned about $100 million dollars. 
2022. I think I did read somewhere where they were coming up with a loss somewhere in one of the quarters this year, possibly. But, you know, they're, they're earning a lot of money, uh, I think on balance. And, and what happened is they wanted their workers to do, uh, 12 hour shifts and, uh, keep the plant going there in Vancouver 24 hours a, keep it running 24 hours a day, which, uh, is their big beef. So that's what's going on with the strike. It's gone on for quite a while. You, I, you can't get sugar. I was up in the safe on there, up in the heart yesterday. There's no sugar up there. Uh, you know, it's going to put a, a damper on the Christmas spirit. You know, we've, we, you know, a lot of people are trying to make a bunch of sweet things and you can't do that with, uh, without sugar. It's not just bakeries though. You've got, uh, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about the beekeepers, uh, who need sugar to keep the bees going over the winter up here in, in Northern BC and Alberta. And if you can't get, uh, if you can't get that, uh, sugar, cheap available sugar to keep the bees going, then you might uh, lose some, some colonies. So there, there will be impacts on agriculture. And hopefully, hopefully this thing is sorted out. Uh, you know, one of, one of the other things I, I kind of was looking at is, is the market concentration of sugar production in Canada. We've only got, uh, two or three refineries. I think maybe, maybe somewhere, maybe a few more than that, but two companies own all the sugar production, that, uh, production. That's going to be Atlantic and then Redpath Sugar, which is an East Coast company. And what happens when you've got all your eggs in one basket like that is, if there is a labor disruption or something like that, you run out of a basic commodity, which, which I think uh, shows uh, underscores kind of the vulnerability of, of our economy. It's uh, it's one of the problems when you have these big monopoly duopoly situations that uh, you're incredibly vulnerable to disruptions like this. Well, uh, we'll get into it. Peter may touch on it also, but uh, one of the things in the article that was sort of glossed over was they are running a 24-hour-a-day operation. But it's being done with overtime, and uh, I would hate to believe that they just wanted to uh, not go to the 12-hour shift uh, because they can make more money on overtime. But who knows, you know, mm-hmm. Peter? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I find it, it's a uh, you know interesting situation that's going on there. The PPWC Local Eight is uh, you know in a midst of a you know pretty uh, sharp struggle here for. In terms of, uh, having some say over their, uh, their overtime thing, right? You know, because that's part of what's going on right now in the world is that there's all kinds of pressure on, uh, on workers, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, inflation, but it's also reflected in the, uh, you know, demand of, uh, these big employers, these big companies and all this, uh, to, uh, basically exploit the workers, uh, more, right? And, uh, in response, uh, I think one of the interesting things that's taking place is that, uh, you're getting uh, uh, sympathy sort of situations where, whereby uh, the uh, there's pickets going up at uh, at uh, companies that are uh, getting uh, the sugar through other means, uh, uh, you know, rather than directly from 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 Rogers, right? You know, so and and that uh, that's been shown to be pretty effective in terms of what's going on these uh, these other companies that used to get it from uh, uh, fr- from the Rogers and all this what they're doing now is uh, th- they're ending that and, and getting it from somewhere else and what it shows is the the, the whole issue of solidarity in terms of in, in this climate we're in right now the solidarity of workers is really important in terms of building uh, having the power to take on these big companies. One positive note, and we said we'd give you a positive note, so <clears throat> sugar's not good for you, it's not good for your health, <laughs> and you shouldn't be eating too much, so maybe inadvertently uh, 
things are going to start looking up in the health department. We can't eat any sugar. The other thing to keep in mind is the we don't have that problem here so much, but I was reading in the article that hummingbirds and their feeders, uh, it's white bleached sugar that they use to make up that uh, feed that the hummingbirds use. And they're just cautioning people not to use brown sugar or Splenda or anything else because they can't handle that. The only thing they can handle is the white sugar. Brown sugar actually has too much iron in it and could kill them. So don't rush out there with uh, some sort of new way of feeding hummingbirds because you might be killing them. Norm. Norm. <laughs> okay, we're finished. <laughs> we're finished for this. Uh, yeah, we got a thing going here with who's Norm. We think it might be Norm Groman from uh, Vancouver CBC 25 years ago. Anyway, we'll be back next week. Thanks to all the listeners. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. You're listening to 93.1 CFISFM, proudly supported by local businesses like New Look Interiors, now located at number 12E, 1839 First Avenue.